Hello and welcome to series two of my DIY handbook. If you just discovered me and this podcast, welcome along. And if you've been rocking with us since series one, then welcome back. This podcast is for the creative, the freelancer, the entrepreneur, those who have ideas that they want to get off the ground. I'm a DJ, broadcaster and label owner, and I've been working in the music industry for over 10 years. And this podcast is all about me sharing what I've learned so far and continue to learn. So hopefully it will help and equip you for what may come on your journey to your dream career. In series two, we'll be exploring rejection, money, well-being, contracts, value and more. I'll be joined by a variety of guests who I admire, some who've been on a similar journey and some who are bona fide experts in those challenging areas. So I hope you enjoy our conversations and you can take away gems of advice and food for thought. If any of these episodes resonate with you, then feel free to get in touch. Give us a follow on Instagram, DIY underscore handbook underscore, or follow me directly at Jams Supernova. All right, let's dive in. So there's one massive thing that I feel like I missed out and I think that so many children and children continue to miss out on in our education system is the way that we're taught about money management. Now love it or hate it is something that we all need to survive and for our businesses to thrive. Now when you work for yourself you have a different set of rules that you have to follow and it can be so daunting that some people for that simple fact never want to be self-employed. But the freedom of being your own boss in control of your own hours and how much you can earn can be incredibly exciting and fulfilling. So in this episode, I talk to author, journalist, speaker and consultant, Atega Uwagba, who is never afraid to talk about money. So much so, she's written a book about it. Atega Uwagba, welcome to DIY Handbook. I have been wanting to have you on this podcast for the longest time. I've literally held out for a whole year. And um, <laughs> well, firstly, one thing I loved is uh, I, I love how to, you know, how um, forward you are in, in, in knowing about your time and how you can do things and where to put your time. And I remember when I when I first hit you up, you were like, I need to finish. I've got a book to finish. I've got a deadline. And can we pick this up um, next year? And that book is now out and it's amazing. Um, we need to talk about money. So firstly, congratulations. Thank you. Thanks, thanks so much. And yeah, thanks for holding out. You're right. I'm very, I mean, I think if you hit me up, I was literally like barreling towards this deadline. I was like, everything is off the table. I just need to hit this deadline. So yeah, but I'm glad to be here. And it's been such a good year. I mean, you know, seeing seeing you pop up in sort of various different publications talking about your book. I know you're you're currently kind of on a on a, on a book tour at the moment. What is that feeling of knowing that this this thing that you've poured your poured the last you know couple of years of your life into is now out there? It feels good, actually. I was thinking about. It. I think this is probably the creative project in my life that I've worked on for the longest because I mean. Even in terms of how long I've been thinking about it, that's been absolutely years. But just from when I pitched it to my publisher, it was spring 2018. So it's been like three and a half years of either researching it or writing it or editing it or promoting it. So it's like been a big project, but it feels really good for it to be out in the world. And it feels it feels nice as well being able to just kind of like, I don't know, tweet out an opinion and not have to be like, oh, save it for the book. I'm just like, it's all out there now. This is what I think. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a blast. So you've written three books. Um, you've had you've got your own podcast. You know, you're a businesswoman. Um, you've built a platform. Um, 
you know, you write for various different publications. And the kind of main thing that, that threads a lot of your work is the transparency around money and finances. Why did that topic resonate with you as something that you wanted to explore professionally? Because when I became self-employed oh, six years ago now, actually, money was one of the first things that I had to figure out. And figuring out money as a self-employed person or a freelancer versus working in a nine to five, which is what I've been doing before I've been working advertising. It's just a completely different ball game. Like even today, I've been thinking about the fact I need to email my accountant. I just have a couple of questions for him. Like there's an email sitting in my own books that he sent me nearly a month ago that I still haven't got around to replying to. Um, it's a constant process and you're constantly kind of weighing up whether it's how much you're charging for stuff, how much you're being paid, what your expenses are, what your annual income is, what your taxes are going to be, what your VAT is going to be, what your forecast is for the next year, two years, five years is like. So there was a lot to get my head around. And I'm also someone who I like to plan things. I like to be organized. So it was never kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Um, and as a result, because I was kind of thinking about money a lot, I had a lot of questions and I just, there were a lot of conversations that I wanted to have with people. So I was kind of having them anyway with peers, like people who work in the industry. Um, so I think from a professional point of view, it was just about trying to figure it out myself. Like I still learn stuff from speaking to other people who are in similar positions to me as my career evolves. I'm literally often just like, how do you make money? How do you make your money? I want to know. And then I apply that to my own life. I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to do that. But maybe I could do more of that. And mm. It's just, it's a, my career has like looked very different every year for the past like five or six years. So thinking about how that works, you know, from a financial point of view, something that I'm just always thinking about. And being self-employed comes with so many un unknown rules that you don't know until you're in that situation yourself. And you literally cannot apply um, some of the same sort of thinking as, as someone that's in a salaried job would in terms of, you know, we have so much freedom, we pick and choose when we work, we have, you know, sort of time, you know, you can take time off to to, to, to make sure you can write your book, you've got a budget for it, but it's something that you, you, you can do. But on the flip side of that, it's like there's just certain boundaries that are in place. And I was literally thinking about it today, thinking about sort of maternity leave. And I was like, it's so mm. funny that people try to impose their opinions on you um, or their what they what has worked for them when it comes to maternity leave, but you haven't told me your financial situation. <laughs> so yeah, actually, amazing. your the way your bank account is set up and the way my bank account is set up is two very different ways of working. So actually, how long I choose to take off and how long you choose to take off are very different. So it's kind of um, you have to you know I would only be learning this because now I'm in it. Yeah, and honestly, I saw you tweeting about that earlier, and I made a note of it because. All of my friends, like female friends who've had babies, who've been self-employed, their maternity leaves have looked very different from people nine to fives. And by very different, they've been shorter. Like yes. Much shorter. <laughs> like sometimes, like, you know, kind of non-existent. A whisper. And that is because of, you know, it's a whisper of a thing. And that's something that I've really noticed. And, you know, I don't know whether I want to have kids or not, but it's just something that I'm storing away that as a self-employed woman, if you want to have a child and want to take maternity leave, things might look very different for you unless you like I don't know have like a really super wealthy partner and money isn't an object but for most of us money is an object so yeah um I definitely think I can imagine people trying to impose their ideas on you without and I'm sure you know they kind of well meaning mean well mm. but without actually thinking because the thing about maternity leave it's 
there's a balance between what you might want to do and wanting to spend a certain amount of time off and, and with your newborn baby and also what you can afford to do. And right. I think it's, you have to balance the two. 100%. And it's kind of weird, like, going into this phase of starting a family. It makes you very reflective uh, around the environments that, that you've grown up in, especially, you know, thinking about the the way that I've grown up and, um, you know, what, what maybe my, my mom had me quite young. So the way that I'm shopping on Amazon probably was not the way that she was shopping on Amazon, you know, like, and and it's something that we spoke about. We had this lovely, lovely drink and uh, one evening you took me to this sort of um, members, members club and um, we just sat and we spoke about kind of a lot of, a lot of the themes that come up in, in, in your book. And one of them was around family and like learned behavior. So I remember that my, my mum and my stepdad, um, whilst they were, I guess I, I was, uh, whilst I would say that they were, it, they were they were comfortable i would say would be the word i wouldn't say they were wealthy um i definitely wouldn't say they were poor but there was this real scarcity around money they had the privilege of being able to buy with the help of my stepdad's um dad so we 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 lived in that we owned a house from from when the age i was you know 6 years old um but there was always this sort of yeah this 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 sort of hanging scarcity of you know for example um one of them might change their jobs or something like that and it'd be like oh you know so wills um wills got you know wills wills not working here anymore so that means that we're going to we're going to have to start getting Sainsbury's basics and, it, <laughs> and it's just like you know i i and i always it used to really annoy me a little bit like i'd be like why are you telling me mm. um but also equally it's ludicrous to think that being worse off is having Sainsbury's basics, like in the grand scheme of life. But to them, it was a thing. So I, I, I sort of built up this thing. I didn't want to be like them. I didn't want to have this scarcity of, oh, that might happen. Oh, that might happen. Oh, we can't do do that and hold on to money so tightly. Mm. Um, you don't want I just... to worry about money. And no, when I say that, I don't. I mean, that is kind of my goal as well to be so financially comfortable. Look, I'm not saying I'll want to be like a billionaire but I don't want to have to be weighing if I need something or if I want something within reason I don't want to have to be weighing up okay what am I going to have to cut back Mm -hmm. to afford this what am I going to have how am I going to have to change my lifestyle I don't want to be panicking if let's say my car my non-existent car breaks down (laughs) and I know that it needs you know a thousand pounds like I don't want that to make me panic it's fine for it to be mildly irritating annoyance but I don't want to think okay how is this going to affect what the rest of my month what the rest of my year looks like that's the kind of financial ease that I aspire to and it's especially living in London that it that means earning quite a lot of money like I'm I'm very realistic about that but I'm kind of similar to you like I grew up in a well not similar but in the sense of kind of having certain anxieties around money I, I grew up on a council estate in South London and I was one of three daughters when my family moved here we didn't have a lot of money and this is kind of what you and I talked about and we were never like you know hard up destitute like when I hear the word poor now I think about people who have their electricity cut off and can't literally can't afford to eat that was never the case with us but money was tight especially in the early years and something I write about in the book is that I definitely absorbed that as a child um I think it was kind of subconscious like I don't think as a child, my parents talked to me directly about money or not being able to afford things, but I could just tell, I could see, I could overhear the conversations. Um, and even though life for them has improved and life for us as a family improved over the years, 
I never really lost that. Like I still have that even as an adult, as a 31 year old, I still have that um, worry, I guess, of being without. And it's definitely dissipated a lot over the past couple of years, especially. And actually I think part of, part of that is down to writing the book and the process of kind of examining my money story. But I don't know, maybe nobody does, but I don't have like the most comfortable relationship with money. And it's something that I have to put a lot of work into like psychologically mm-hmm. to make myself feel more comfortable and to not panic about things. Yeah. It's kind of like a sort of um like a process you need to go through your brain with. And and there's so many extremities because it's like my my aunt on the other hand, there's many things that I admire about her and I'm sure that there's many things that um when it does come to finances that my family might find a bit unorthodox and frustrating about her. Mm. And she's very much like you know, think positively, um, kind of like that sort of positive money thinking. Um, she doesn't have a lot, but she makes makes a little go far. And I remember, um, you know, when I first moved into my flat when I was um, 21 and I was worried about how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to, you know, pay next month's rent? And she'd be like, but can you pay this month's rent? And I'd be like, yeah, she was like, OK, so let's focus on that. And we'll get to next month when we get to next month. Wow! And it was it was rocky, but it was it worked for me. And she would get me to do little things like you know I think the mindset. You know, I'd I'd write. I found all my old bills the other day. I had I had bills dating back ten years ago. You know, to Empower <laughs> and things like that. And she would say every time you get a bill, um, and you pay it right, thank you paid on it. And then cross it off and file it away. And there was just something about that process and doing it. And I look back at all these bills and they were like, thank you, paid, kiss, kiss. <laughs> oh my God, and, I love that. I, I have such a different attitude to bills. Like, I think most of things kind of are now automated out of my bank account. But it's like, I don't want to think mm. about them or look at them as they come out. Like, I've drawn up a kind of monthly budget. And I know how much everything is going to cost. I know how much my mortgage is, how much X number of bills adds up to it. And then I just don't think about it because if I look too hard at it I think it kind of makes me feel a certain way um and I also really admire her kind of can you pay this month's rent or bill because that is so far removed from how I feel like I need to have like a very long runway to be able to sleep at night like I need to have (laughs) serious savings put away like I'm a kind of disaster planner worst case scenario kind of person and that's what works for me but I don't necessarily think it's um yeah it works for me but you know it'd be great to be a bit more relaxed about it essentially that's what I mean it's the it's the extremities isn't it it's finding somewhere in the middle and it and it and it's weird because it's like um that was a sort of learning around kind of the positive side of things but I've also had to to learn about credit and 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 debt and how to use that so you know you said you just let them come out like you don't look at what's coming out so I don't do direct debits really I like to pay the bill as it comes in and I don't know why yeah I don't know why I think as I've just had this fear of it coming out but me not having the money in my account oh, I, I definitely get that and I had that for a very long time but I think it's the reality is I just have too many bills to pay now. Of course, yeah. <laughs> to, to do them all kind of individually. But I, but also I set all of my bills to come out. Like I basically, I'm set up as like a limited company as a business. Mm-hmm. I pay myself the same amount every month on the same day each month. And that's automated. And I set all of my bills to come out the day after I'm paid. So that then I know how much I've got for the rest of the month. And that's the thing mm-hmm. that I do with bills. So my mortgage, my gas, my everything comes out the day after I'm paid. So all of the money 
that I have left in my bank account for the month. That's your like, money. Yeah, that's my money. Because yeah. I also have that fear of, you know, with direct debits, it's like, oh my God, you're, okay, do you know what, for ages, I used to, I mean, I don't even think you can, but when it came to Oyster cards, for, for instance, like, you know, you could do automatic top-ups. But years after that came in, I was still topping up manually, like 20 pounds here. <laughs> I'm only going to need that there. much. Do you, yeah. I mean, just, just because I was like, I hated the idea of the Oyster top-up coming out of my bank account when it was like one, like two days before the end of the month and I only have 30 pounds and then TFL takes 25. I was like, I can't, I can't be having that. So that I used to really, really watch. But I feel like the fact that I don't feel the need to do that sort of thing anymore is like a sign of progress that I've kind of gotten a bit more relaxed. But yeah, I, used, I definitely used to be a bit like that. Yeah, and that comes with growth and age. We're at an age where, you know, I'm a limited company as myself. I do a similar thing. I, I still do it manually. Manually, I still pay myself from my business. Then the next day, then that day, sorry, it's normally on the first. Then I'll pay all my bills from it um, one by one. Okay, okay. Uh, and then what's left is is for me. And then I, I um, you know, I, I put aside, I have like um, sort of different saving pots. Yeah. You know, like recently I got a credit card. Just I haven't had a credit card in a, in a very long time time um and I'm like all right that goes to the credit card that goes to you know a house fund and then I have a little fund which is a jams fund <laughs> like a jams sort of rainy day and there's just lots of little like partitions and I've got many different accounts and many different cards and people would think I'm a scammer but I'm not I just <laughs> <laughs> no but I think that's also really good because I think one of the issues with the way we handle money now so like you and I grew up well I personally grew up money was like notes and coins and all of, it was very physical and yep. so I kept a real track of how much I had and how much I was spending. But the like banks and credit card companies have made money very frictionless, made spending very frictionless. And so actually to actually sit down and do what you do, which is really kind of monitor what's going in and out every month, I think is a really good practice to make sure that you're just you're just aware of how much you're spending or how much you're earning. Like I think it's very easy for money to become almost kind of like conceptual. Like, I think that's kind of happened to me. And I'm not saying that all because I have loads of money, but it just becomes like numbers on a statement and they they start to lose meaning a bit. So I do think that there is a lot to be said for that method of just, it's like a monthly check-in as well. To be like, okay, well, that was an expensive month. Oh, I got to the end of that allowance a lot quicker than I thought. You know, it's like a monthly check-in and to, to sit down and think about where your money is going. I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think it's a privilege to to be able to, you know, I know it's a privilege to be able to have those little pots of savings mm. here and there. And it's kind of like mm. my hidden little, you know, my hidden little rainbow pots mm. um, that make sense to me and probably don't make sense to, to many other people. Why don't you just put it in one account? But I think it comes from navigating a creative industry where to begin with, you're just happy to be paid in general. So you might not be getting paid very well, but you're happy to be getting paid. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wondered, um, do you remember that feeling of finally being paid to do what you love and how much um, did you earn? I'm going to be honest. So I started working advertising for five years. That was what I did after university. So by the time I started writing journalism, especially with my first book, Little Black Book, I went in very strong on the you're going to pay me for working um and so I kind of somehow managed to it's not so I haven't done work for free but it's been a very small amount and I kind of managed 
to kind of circumnavigate a, a lot of that kind of phase I know is really kind of a rite of passage, I guess, for a lot of creative industries. But I remember, for instance, uh, my very first book came out and I was 26 and my publisher asked me to speak at a big conference and I was like, is there a fee? And they were like, no, it's to promote your book. And I was like, I'm not doing it. And then they had to pay me. <laughs> I love the and bravery. And I kind of look back and think, mm. what was I thinking? And it wasn't like a, I think it was 200 pounds they paid me. So it wasn't like. It's principle. You know, I mean, it was, but it was, I was just like, I just want to be valued. And I, I, I just really put my foot down. And it's weird now because I look at it now and I understand that part of the book promotion process often does involve doing things for free. But at the time I was like, I'm not speaking at this conference that charges. I was like, what was it? I literally wrote to them. I was like, what's the ticket pricing? And it was expensive. And I was like, well, someone's making money out of this. So I need to be paid. So, um, but even still, when I started freelancing, it did take me a while to get my money up. Like I think the first year, I can't remember what I earned. Like this is like five or six years ago, but it was definitely like below the like, average UK salary or something like that. And I could make that work because I'd moved back in with my parents and I had quite substantial savings as well. So it didn't feel great, like having like a sort of lower salary, but I kind of felt able to be a bit more choosy, I guess, about certain things in a way that over time has kind of paid dividends. But I think I remember also, this would have been like maybe two years into freelancing, two or three years into freelancing, when I started getting paid more for things. So it's like, instead of £200 for a talk, I might get paid 500 and then it's 700 and then it's like oh my god I paid a grant like you know and that felt really really good um and I think it's probably only within the past two two and a half years that I was like okay I can make a sustainable living and I can support myself especially as I was kind of mentally planning I was like I want to try and buy a place and part of that thinking I was like okay well I can save but I was like can I like support myself as like it sounds weird but as like a completely independent adult paying mortgage, paying bills, enjoying life, dealing with all the stuff that life throws at you. Like, I think I only became confident that I could do that sort of like 2019. Um, And that was like a really good feeling. And now even so, I do have to pinch myself sometimes. I can't believe I'm self-employed and making it work. Like sometimes that's still just, I'm like, where's my work coming from? And I had this a bit during the pandemic because actually March, 2020, everything goes into lockdown I lost so many jobs like so many freelance gigs everything's just cancelled 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 and that was really scary for me and then I was like how have you been making money for the past couple of years because I suddenly had to really think about it because I just kind of had this like things come in things happen I get some book advances I get some other money um but the fact that I kind of made it through that and it's I mean touch wood you know god willing don't want to jinx it but like This year of living independently, having my own place, and, like, for me, that is, like, a really big deal. I know I keep on talking about it, but having my own place and being, like, paying your bills every month and everything is fine and you've got a little savings pot, that, for me, has actually still been quite mind-blowing to kind of get my head around. So, yeah. There's a wizardry to to being self-employed, and that is Mm. something that I I, kind of had to learn. I remember um, feeling like I'd made it. So I got an internship at the BBC, which was paid, and it was two fifty a week. Mm. And I was I was nineteen years old, and I was like, "That's really good." Sorry, I know. <laughs> I would have been like, "Yes." I was like, "Wow!" And I lived at home, um, right. so I had to give my parents fifty quid a week. I was yeah. 
Um, <laughs> but, you know, okay, 200 a week still, you yeah. know, I, I thought That's a lot I was, of money for a 19-year-old. Like, I was living the absolute dream. That's like 800 a month. You know, you're not paying uh, that, yeah. that many bills. You know, I had a little small, very small car, which I then eventually sold. So I had even more money. Um, <laughs> um, but then I realised, I, I soon clocked. So after that, I started working um, at the BBC, but self-employed and, and um, sort of freelancing. But then I realised that there was different companies that worked also for the BBC that did the same thing. So then I could be on the BBC's books producing and, and working behind the scenes. I could be on all these other companies' books as well, doing the exact same job, but I'd have more opportunity for work rather than relying on one source. And that kind of is what led me to start to think about having different streams of of income. So I started that really kind of early working for different people, sometimes doing the exact same thing. Mm. And then one by one, I would slowly start stacking on, okay, right, I've, I've, I've finally got to a place where my DJ is a viable, a viable, you know, way of making money. Okay, tick. Hmm. Okay, I'm only doing one radio show a week now. Can't quite live off that. Um, but I do know a lot about music. I'm going to try and find an A&R consultancy where I get paid oh. to go into a label and talk once a, a week about music that I'm finding. Oh. Okay, that's another um, stream of income. Okay, but I, I do radio and I use my voice. Does that mean that I can be paid for voiceovers? Okay, that's another stream of income. So you start to build this spider web of all the different ways that you can make money that doesn't take away that much time from the core of what you do. And I think, that's what saved me in the pandemic mm. because a big chunk of my DJ gig, which does make me um, a considerable amount of money sort of in the, if you were to do a pie chart of how much I make, mm. you know, the DJ in is, 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 is a strong half, I'd say. And to have that taken away and one by one, every gig cancelled, having that other half of, uh, of a different way of making money is what got me through. Do you know what, it's weird you say this because... I also, even though things got cancelled, I felt really grateful to be, it was weird, I felt quite grateful to be self-employed during the pandemic because people also, people who were working in nine to fives lost jobs and got made redundant yes. and fully lost their entire income overnight. Mm. And I was like, well, at least with the way that I work, like things dipped, but other things kind of, you know, I pivoted and things came up and all of a sudden it's like, I'm not doing this. And then I wrote, a book I wrote an essay and it was you know I had to think think on my feet and I was lucky that I was able to find things to fill the gaps but I was like I would rather have like a dip in income than have everything disappear overnight oh my gosh yeah um yeah. And I suddenly felt like I've kind of like spread better like in fact I was looking through like my reporting like my accounting software literally earlier just before this call because like I said I need to have this chat with my accountant and I was looking at this financial year so far and it's always, it's like my income is always made up of slightly different streams than what I think it is. And so it was like a good, so far since May of this year, a good 28% it was of my income has been brand partnerships. And then it was like, wow, speaking has really blown up this year because I've got a book and I want to talk about that. Because also I was looking on it year on year based on, previous years like it's really good software and so I just kind of did this little check-in and I was like okay you need to think about and also because for me it's like some years I get book money other years I don't and also I'm not working really on a book at the moment so it's like the book money's gonna it's gonna run out so I'm like what's gonna fill up that space 
And if you divided that that book money, say for, say for example, an advance that you might get, but then yeah. if you divided it by the days that you actually work on the book, it, it works out to uh, not very I guess. Much. I think if I broke down the number of hours I don't think it would clock minimum wage on my books so it's like (laughs) I think of it as like the books or writing you know and I I I do well out of my books but just like I basically think of stuff that's low effort low time involvement but like pays more pays time and half and I basically offset my time and my earnings that way there are some things that it's like that job took me half a day or a day and I got paid grands verse and, and I'm like that's going to cover me for the next month or two or three do you see what I mean so I like it all kind of works and I think I have a bit of a rhythm with it but sometimes it helps to just kind of check in and actually look at the numbers and think okay you need to make it up here or make it up there yeah and keep looking at it and keep looking at sort of where the ebbs and flows are and where the trends are mm. uh to make more to make more money and I think the pandemic actually so being able to live on less because mm. I was you know paying yourself the same amount each month when there is money that gets taken away you don't kind of notice it because you're still paying yourself the same yeah. each month I think that was really helpful but then when it came to coming back to work because I like I said I've just been happy to get paid to do what I do but coming back to the DJing I have been a lot more picky about the gigs that I want to do Mm. and all my and also financially what I want to get paid for you know if I'm gonna leave my house travel around the country you know what is that going to cost now am I doing it because it's going to be a cool moment and I want to be in the club and I want to play to 200 people but I know that the ticket prices are x amount so do you know what I'm gonna take it as a as a cultural moment or am I going to want to be paid handsomely for this and I kind of have to I've been a lot more picky and choosy and I I never had that before um and it's definitely kind of weighing up as well because I think as well a lot of people got asked during the pandemic to thinking that everyone was at home all the time could you do this zoom thing could you do this talk could you do you know um here's our budget for it and I had to kind of work out okay well this if this is the budget this is still an hour out of my time yeah yeah absolutely is that hour worth 250 pounds I think of everything as opportunity cost Every single bit of work that I'm asked to do, everything, even things that I want to do, I think of it as opportunity cost. For me, the opportunity cost is just resting and chilling. Like I, I always describe myself as a very high functioning, lazy person. Like my ideal state is to not be working. Yeah. Even though I love my job, I love what I do for a living, but you know, I just want to chill. So I'm like, if you want me to do this, if you want me to take time out of my day, my week to do this, then I need to think about A, also I think about what the value is to whoever is hiring me because I'm like if you're a charity or small business or small brand then I'm I'm thinking about their finances but one of the maddest things that happened to me uh earlier this year was like an agency got in touch with me to um ask to consult on it was about finances but specifically about finances for black people people of color and I could tell from the name of the agency name it was a big agency and I was like they've got a corporate they were like NDA on the client um they and I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I won't say who the client was but um they were like, NDA on the client we can't tell you and I was like mm. like I used to work in advertising so I'm like NDA this client like this agency I know that whoever's paying for this has got money 
Mm. And then they were like, oh, we can pay you like an honorary field donate to a charity. And I'd, I sent back an absolute stinker of an email. And I was just like, what was that? What? Because they were like, oh, we want to pick your brains. And I was like, what you've asked me to do is consulting, first of all. And I do that for a living. Second of all, there's no donation out of it. I was like, you need to pay me for my time. And then, so I, anyway, I quoted them. We went through with it. I quoted them quite a high fee. I will never forget. It was one of the big, it was just, it was a company. I looked up the net worth of the company that they were um, getting in touch with me for. And it's like triple billions. And they were trying yeah. to pay me. So do you know what I mean? So like, whereas if, if the consulting had come from a very small company, I would have charged maybe a third of what I charged them. But I was like, well, this is a huge company. You guys have got the money. You can afford to... So I also kind of tailor what I charge people based on, on who's asking. And, it, and then also I can charge a big corporate company a lot of money so that when a charity asks me to do something, you know, pro bono, like there is a couple of charities that I work with, I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. Like you don't need to pay. Like it's fine. So that then pays for that time. So that is kind of, again, what I think about it as. And also I think often a lot of companies don't realise... They think it's one hour of your time because that's a scheduled Zoom. I'm like, well, there's a bunch of... All this emailing has taken two hours of my time because a lot of them, they love to send emails. This has taken two hours of my time. Then I have to prep for it, which is maybe another hour, maybe it's two hours, depending on what the topic is. So what you're, what they're seeing as one hour is actually four or five hours for me. So I'm like, I need to be charging you for that four or five hours, not just now. And then I also need to be charging you for the number of years and months that it's taken me to acquire the knowledge that this. I can deliver... What is you want in an hour as opposed yes. you know, th- that has made me an expert on it? So I, I think I'm so, and I, I'm sure sometimes when people approach me and want to work with me, they're like, whoa, her rates are high. And I'm like, yeah, that's because I have the expertise and I've done this for years and years and years. And I've probably in many ways worked unpaid in terms of just gathering this knowledge. Like nobody's paying me for a lot of the research and reading that I'm doing and keeping my kind of finger on the kind of cultural pulse. Nobody's paying me for that time, so now you're going to pay me for that time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That value is so important, mm-hmm. and and it really has been in 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 the last year or so um, that I've understood my true value. Yeah, and I am able to be like, you will pay me for my value. Yeah, or or don't have me. That's fine. And, if, and you don't, don't if you don't value it, that's okay. Yeah, I don't need exposure. That you know, and people. I think most companies have kind of learned they don't kind of actually use the word exposure because they know it's like kind of like a trigger point for um, self-employed creative but they kind of try and do it in other ways I'm like I don't need exposure like I, I don't maybe early like the decisions I make now yes are different from the decisions I would have made four or five years ago but I'm like I'm, I'm fine I'm happily exposed I just need to be paid so that, yeah that's absolutely fine and there are, when I think about it there are so 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 few opportunities that I think about now that I would take on unpaid just for the exposure. I'm like, if Oprah wants me to come and host a segment on her TV show for free, yeah, I'll go and do it. <laughs> you know? That's good but exposure. That, exactly, that's, that's good exposure. But I think that's another thing as well. So you have to really, I think for younger creatives who kind of get offered this kind of trade-off, you have to really think about whether these companies are going to deliver what they promise. Because I can, they say, oh, we'll, we'll put you on our socials. And then you go and look at their socials. Maybe they have fewer followers than you do. Or maybe people aren't particularly engaged. Like, I actually want stats and numbers. So in the past, I've definitely been like, okay, well, you can't pay me what I want. So I want you to put 
my book in your email newsletter list, which has hundreds of thousands of people. Like, and this is what I want you to say, and I want there to be a click through that goes to my website. You have to be really specific because, you know, I've had people approach me like there'll be lots of lovely coverage. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, but, break you know, it down. And also because mm. when when these people are when the you know when these people are working with you, they say we want X number of posts up for X number of time, this number of stories. So you kind of need to ask it back. Ask it back. It's like okay, so you can't meet my rate, you can't pay me properly. So what? How do? You, how are you going to make this worth my while? And so maybe we've got this huge platform, so I want to be exposed completely on this huge platform in a really meaningful way. So that's kind yeah. of the only thing that I would ever consider, but. Yeah, and, and cultural currency, you know, it, it over time it evaporates, and it's like yeah. because everyone's fighting to be heard. Say a company that might have been maybe being featured on their Instagram grid might have got you a thousand followers four years ago. Now you'd be lucky if it got you five because mm-hmm. it needs to be seen at least like seven times before or 14 times for yeah. someone to even to even engage with it or register it. Yeah. There's so much learning. And I hope that it, the young creative that's listening to this or the young entrepreneur is is listening and knowing that it's okay not to have it all figured out where mm-hmm. you're at in life. We're, we're 31 years old um, and it's taken a long time to get here and there have been mistakes along the way. And one of the mistakes that I'll, I will never, ever forget that I made um, it was trying to work out tax as a self-employed wow. person. So I, I was like, right, because, you know, when you're starting out, no one really wants to be paying taxes. <laughs> you don't have to. Do you know what I mean? But there comes a point in your life where you can't dodge the tax man anymore and it's within your best interest to get your shit in order. So I got my shit in order, right, I'm going to pay my tax, I'm going to be super organised, I got a kind of local accountant to begin with and I had a spreadsheet and it was colour coded and every month I would write what I worked, you know, what I got paid and then I'd have another section for the expenses that I made that month and, you know, keep all the receipts, et cetera, et cetera, take pictures, that stuff, feeling really good and really confident about it and for some reason I had believed that I don't know where I got it. I must have got it from the internet, but read it in my own way. I believed that whatever you made, let's say you made a thousand pound in a month, right? Mm-hmm. But if your expenses were a thousand pound in that month, then you wouldn't have to pay any tax. So I started to acquire a nice bit of savings. Now, this was my tax money, and I was like, wow, this is the most money I've ever had in, sa- in savings. I've got like four grand here. I'm going to buy some CDJs and some decks um, because if I buy those, then I won't have to pay any tax on it. I would I won't have to pay tax at all because it was an expense that's taken up that that's that mm-hmm. amount. And so I just it went ahead. I didn't ask anyone. I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't even talk to my accountant. I just I just did it. <laughs> and um, I was talking to my manager. Um, a couple of weeks later, I was like, I'll just expense it. I'll just put it on the expense. Oh, it's an expense. <laughs> and she was like, you do know that you can expense stuff, but you do still have to pay tax. I was like, really? I was like, but it's the same amount. I'm spending what I'm earning. I'm spending, you know, I'm spending. And I can see how I thought that, but I it just was wrong. Trying, it's so weird because you're explaining this to me and I'm like, but she's not wrong. So I'm like, let's say you made 30 grand in a year. Were you trying to spend 30 grand? Of yes, in expenses. Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, that's where I was going wrong. Like I can see, you know, yeah, my way of thinking. It's, it's, but this is why people, 
what you had an accountant, you should have spoken to him. But this is what I always say. This is why definitely if you're becoming self-employed, I, I had an accountant from the jump. Um, partly because of the way my, uh, mm. you know, set up as a limited company from the jump. So well, it's just too complicated for me to do on my own. But the the I think the best money spent is on an accountant and having someone handle it. And it, also, especially if you're just starting out, that sounds really um, like expensive and whatever. But I think for me, again, that financial anxiety for me, I was like, that's not something I'm going to scrimp on. I was like, I was like, if I have to mentally square this away as me spending my fun money on an accountant, then that's how I'm going to think about it. Because And that is an expense. Yeah, <laughs> that, no, that, is, that is an expense. That is an expense. So is my accounting software. There are so many things that are legitimate expenses, but I have a good commercial understanding, but I don't want to mess around with HMRC, basically. And luckily, you know, I was able to to, to put that money back again. I didn't have yeah. to sell my decks. I was able to keep my decks. They're my trusted <laughs> possessions. I would never, ever sell them. I don't care how down and out I was. <laughs> You'll find me cuddled up with those decks because it, it was a big moment um, yeah. in my life. But it was definitely a learning thing is to, 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 to use what you're paying for, talk to your people around you yeah. first, um, to find out about those things and to really sort of understand how elements of tax expenses and profit work. For you and the industry that you're in and, and, and the industry that I'm in as as creators, as entrepreneurs, um, what does sustainability look like? Because I guess when we're, we're now looking at the, you know, the next 10 years and the 10 years after, maybe, maybe a pension. right? That's the, right. That's the thing. And I, I'm so glad you asked that because this is something that I've been giving a lot of thought to because I feel like I've, well, the past year or so, especially post-pandemic, because I feel like I've done this, like, first phase of my career I've written you know a couple of books and I'm like okay I feel like I have like a solid foundation I think for me sustainability involves going behind the scenes mm. like and I think part of that is because the creative industries really thrives on what's new and fresh especially when you're a woman like, I hate to say it like it's all about kind of being like a young woman and you know there are a couple of people who just you know have these what I'd say is front-facing careers for decades and decades and decades and they're always booked and busy and always but aside from the fact that I don't think that's guaranteed for everyone, I don't necessarily think I want that. You know, I don't necessarily want to be front and centre with my work all the time. And so, like, I've been thinking, like, what I read, I want to get into TV writing. I want to, you know, it's like maybe in 10 years' time, but I want to be producing stuff, you know. But I think a lot of it is about just, not, yeah, not being front and centre of the work. And I hope that doesn't sound depressing but I think there are other like what I am is essentially a storyteller and there are other ways to sell stories besides me writing a book that says buy a Tegi Wagba and me going out and promoting it loads and loads and loads like that could be you know one of the things that really appeals to me about TV writing is most people don't know the names of any TV writers names it's literally like are you good at this job or not yeah um and I kind of want to move more into that kind of space if that makes sense yeah yeah, it's something that I think is is good to think about and good to have the the flexibility. I think I'm a little bit different in that. I kind of always want to be front and centre. Like I want to be like 80 years old DJing. You know, I'm I'm gonna be the female like version of Rodigan and yeah. and people like that and still out there. However, I know that the music industry is very fickle. Yeah. For me, is what longevity would look like is to be able to have investments, make money in other areas that yeah. then will 
allow me to continue to do what I do and not be stressed. Yeah, I think that's that's really smart. And that's, to be honest, also something that I should probably be thinking about. I think I'm thinking about in terms of like what I want to be doing professionally. And also it's different. You and I have different jobs, but I definitely know that even if it wasn't about the way the industry works, there's only so long that I'd want to be doing this specific type of work for. Yeah. And it's not, I always still want to write, but writing in this form, in this nature, in this kind of setup, I know that that I'm not going to always want to do that. So I just kind of want to explore different things as a result. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. I've loved chatting with you. You know, I, I, I love your mind. And every time we do chat, I always just think, oh, she's so smart. Oh, thank <laughs> you know? you. I, yeah, I always feel like our conversations, like whether it's like on air or off air, always feels really like meaningful and like deep and just like, I know it always feels like a real connection. So thank you for having yes, me. Yes, it definitely is. And just before you go then, mm-hmm. one money hack that a listener can take away today. Never spend more than you earn. That's it. I know that sounds really simplistic and maybe a bit trite, but we live in a world where it's really, for some people, it's really, really hard to make ends meet. But I think when I think about people kind of wanting to flex and like taking out credit and all of that stuff just so they can flex, I'm like, it's not worth it. And I think for me, I've always made sure to just kind of keep my spending a little bit less than what I can probably afford to and what I can stretch to just so I can always kind of be able to put aside that buffer. It's, it's, it's like that for me, because then if something does happen, you've kind of got room to grow. You've kind of got room to be like, okay, actually I've got some unexpected expenses. Yeah, never spend more than you earn. I think that's kind of, it sounds like really obvious, but I think you'd be surprised at how many people don't necessarily adhere to it. I think it's a good one to remember. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Otega Uwapa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I said it before and I'll say it again. I love talking to Otega. I just think her mind is amazing. And I really wanted to recapture that time that we met and we had drinks and we spoke about basically what we just spoke about in the podcast, but you got to hear it this time. I love her no bullshit attitude. She doesn't pretend to know everything, but she will make sure that she asks. And I really was into the way that she analyzes her income, where she makes money, how she makes money, and what areas make the most money for her in that season. I think it's a really interesting way to look at the way that your money flows. Thanks for being here for this episode of the DIY Handbook. I've been Jam Supernova. And if you like what you heard, then just let me know. Leave a review, talk to me on socials, and please, please subscribe because there's more great information, stories, and advice to come in future episodes. episodes.